So this might be finishing the kind of overview of these 12 links of dependent origination. First, a, a reminder of these four reliances. Do not rely on the personality of the teacher. Rely on the Dharma teachings. Second reliance is, do not rely on the literal words. Rely on, on, on the meaning what they're pointing to. The third reliance is rely on the holistic of meaning rather than the personal meaning. Like how we, it's not to reinforce our views. And four, do not rely on the conceptual, rely on the experiential. So we talked about links one through six, the first link that keeps us bound and in, into the cycle of of unnecessary suffering and confusion, delusion, reactivity. The first one is ignorance, not being able to see. Ignorance, again, isn't a judgmental thing. It's just simply not paying attention and being mindful and awake. Number two, our mind has volitionally formed off of the momentum of all of these different causes and conditions, and it looks like this. It's manifesting like this. Sometimes I, I love to look at things and it reminds me of the mind, say fireworks. Fireworks go up, conditions, that's what the mind looks like. That's the volitional formation of the mind. A plant, boom, there it is. There's the volitional formation. And this includes so many things, the shapes and forms of our neurons, our thoughts, our ideas. Depending on how the mind looks, <clears throat> its shape to the volitional formation goes into number three, consciousness. Depending on the shape and the disposition of the mind, it inclines us to pay attention in, in different ways. <clears throat> what we're paying attention to. If our mind is feeling happy and glad and, and, and positive, it tends to pay attention in that direction. If it's formed in the opposite direction or, or any other constellation, it tends to, to be biased in, in that direction. The consciousness is involved in the perceptions that come. The fourth one, name and form. Depending on the constellation of our mind and, and the way that our consciousness is, is active, it triggers certain perceptions, labels, memories, associations. And so we name our experience, we name our form. Number five is the six senses. The six senses are these magical things that we have that bring us in, in, in to know the world that we live in. Take away all of our six senses and it's hard to be in contact with life. <clears throat> so the six senses are the instruments <laughs> to be able to be in contact with life. Number six is that contact. Contact is, is when our mind interacts with, with the world. There's the objects, the sound that it makes, the, the coming into contact with one of our six senses and the consciousness, the knowing of it. It's what we're being nourished by in that moment, our environment and the way that we're paying attention. <clears throat> by the way, the present moment is mindfulness of contact. Mindfulness, when we say, hey, we're being mindful in the present moment, it's not, the label can be confusing. We think of a clock or something like that, but it's this ongoing contact, like a record player on a record. It's, that's the contact. When there's contact, <clears throat> along with the perception and all of that stuff, a feeling tone arises. And the feeling tones, as we talked about before, are their powerful influences on the trajectory of our mind. 
where we go. A lot of in evolutionary psychology, there's this recognition of the hedonic tones and, and how much they shaped us as we evolved to we walk around the, the corner in the olden days and we come into contact with the, with the wolf or something like that growling at us. Our feeling tones are going to, oh, unpleasant and we'll perceive it as danger. It's said that these feeling tones are so strong in the moment that they overpower our logic, our thinking mind. They're designed to temporarily say, all right, stop what you're thinking and get the heck out of here or pursue that thing or whatever. So feeling tones are, even though we name them like pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral, seem so simplistic and so unpowerful. And But this is such a powerful spot to pay attention to because it is one of the, the strongest energies that, that take us into a, a reactive often unconscious process. <clears throat> Here's the thing. Feeling tones are kind of navigators and, and they become especially powerful in, in, in times of stress. But as we know in, in modernity, we have become habituated to chronic stress. A lot of the time for most people living today, there is a certain degree of chronic stress in our physical body and in our heart and mind, whether it's paying our bills or all these different things, the media, all of this stuff, there, we tend to be caught in this, the influence of this chronic, chronic stress. And that means that these feeling tones are even more dom, have more impact because they're always going and they're always shaping our perception and, and our ideas and our behaviors. When our feeling tones take over when they become dominant over our mindfulness they are a great cause of ignorance <laughs> a great cause of um of seeing things in a distorted way we, we start to see things in this or that black and white and need to do and and we can see how that kind of is opposite of our intention of our mindfulness practice therefore the mindfulness practice <laughs> is an antidote <clears throat> Feeling tones are divided into two categories. There's the pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral that are worldly. <laughs> That's a kind of heavy word. And then there's pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral that are unworldly. The worldly feeling tones are rooted in greed, hate, and delusion. Usually they catch us when there's ignorance that we're under the influence of the feeling tones that we're reactively moving toward aversion or we're right re reactively moving toward want the unworldly are simply that we are not under the influence of greed hate and delusion and so an unworldly unpleasant feeling tone might be oh my goodness look at the look at the state of things ah oh, it's not it really hurts my heart it hurts my heart how humans are so divided and, and there's so much hatred out there and division. Uh, unworldly, unpleasant feeling tone. As long as I don't get into because this group is like this and that's like that and bad this, that, that would be worldly. Unworldly would be what, how can I move toward greater awareness, greater compassion and greater action based off of kind of a more enlightened mind and orientation. So it's important to recognize in feeling tones that we're not saying things 
negative feeling tone is bad. Good feeling tone is good. And we're not saying where we can take it. Good feeling tone is bad <laughs> and bad feeling tone is good either. They're just feeling tones. The art of looking into feeling tones, the key element of looking into feeling tones is to look and see that they are impermanent, that they're arising due to causes and conditions, and that clinging to them, this is that renunciation, <laughs> the renunciating from these, the attachment to these feeling tones and um, this tendency for them to take over our reason and move into habit and reactivity is to is the key. So we see them as impermanent. We see that they're arising due to causes and conditions, and we try not to be attached to them. The most powerful way to, to practice with them is to look into their impermanent nature. How long am I going to crave this particular thing? Only until the conditions are, are have transformed into other things. If I'm walking through the aisle and I see my favorite junk food and I walk by the chip section or whatever, I'm going to crave them until I'm over by the cheeses. <laughs> and then when I buy the cheeses, I'm going to crave the cheeses. Where'd the chips go? So they rise and they pass away. So to be able to recognize that all these feeling tones are in flux and to, to recognize that they're always present with contact and perception. We are not bad meditators or unenlightened creatures <laughs> because we have feeling tones. We become unskillful when we let these feeling tones override our, our capacity to see and respond. When we have a feeling tone, that's number seven, craving arises. Craving arises, that's eight. Craving is the desire um, for things to be, to satisfy those sensual pleasures, the craving for the world to conform to our feeling tones. Anyone do that? <laughs> Make that happen? The craving for things not to be. This is called tanha traditionally. Craving is, is natural. That's usually how we recognize the unpleasant feeling tone or the feeling tones. We usually recognize them via their latter movements of mind of craving. We're going to be under the influence to some degree in any given moment when we're paying attention. It doesn't mean we're bad. It means we need to be aware and see where the inclination of mind is going. Number nine is clinging. Not only do we have the craving, the desire for things to be or not to be, we cling to that. Sometimes we can say in the Dharma, we're all addicted to, to, our, to satisfying the cravings. And so we cling to all kinds of things that reinforce that that desire. So a list of some things that 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 are cling to. We cling to the sensual pleasures again. Pliers to let go of our <laughs> clinging. We cling to rites and rituals. We cling to views and opinions, truths. We cling to concepts of self 
oh, when I get this, I will be that. That's what completes me. If I don't have that, then my sense of self is protected. Right? There's subtle movements. There's just stuff that we're always under the influence. And we know that when we cling, our reality is limited. And when we really cling and say, this is I, me, mine, step 10 happens. And that's, we become that. I am the person who's attached to this clinging. It becomes who, what shapes our mind, our truth. When we become, that's what we're born into. That's, it starts to repeat that cycle of ignorance. It goes back to, and step 12 is, is really this representation of impermanence. Death, dying, all things break apart. And we tend to cling in ways that, you know, that, that causes dukkha because that self that we clung to in those things. So we get that, that thing that satisfies us our, 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 our craving. We cling to it and we become identified. What happens? It's going to wear off. Conditions change. The sense of I, me, mine is rattled because the things that it depends on are have changed due to causing conditions. And that causes dukkha. That causes dukkha. And we come back to that cycle of samsara again. So... You, you'll often hear in, in many schools of Dharma and, and the Buddha Dharma and, and Buddhism is this place of bringing our awareness and, and, and presence to feeling tones and all those things that kind of rally around them, the craving and all of that stuff, and to empower ourselves to look into the impermanent nature of those things requires us not to cling has anyone heard of equanimity (laughs) what a place to practice equanimity that is that is a the i'm not going to say the absolute place but man bring in the teachings of equanimity means to be with but not of to be present with but not of it to the point where we're able to hold our capacity to see our mindfulness comes into that equanimity space so we see the feeling tones arise and instead of being of it by getting caught and swept away in the craving and the clinging we allow that equanimity to be present and we maintain a certain amount of presence so that we can see that this feeling tone and resulting other factors are impermanent they change that spell wasn't, that need wasn't necessarily as, as strong as we might have thought. And look for this in the, the, the obvious areas first, where you're just, when you feel yourself being rattled or angry or, or whatever, try to find calm and, and equanimity and look at the feeling tones, but then look for it in, in, in more subtle places like conversation. Like just the way that we try to reinforce our views in a conversation. What are we doing in conversation sometimes? What kind of feeling tones and views and, and feelings and cravings and, and, and clingings arise in that? So we went over all of the links and the meandering <laughs> way as we do here. But hopefully 
these 12 links, you know, are illuminated in a way that you can start to look into them and, and maybe read about them um, and practice them and see how these 12 links arise. These 12 links of dependent origination are called dependent origination, but remember not to confuse that with the whole principle of dependent origination, which is everything arises due to causes and conditions and everything falls apart <laughs> due to causes and conditions and everything is in in continuous flux. Every Dharma teaching is a teaching on dependent origination. <clears throat> Thank you. I'll ring the bell three times. May we all become more awake, happy and free. May we approach our Dharma practice with right effort, with compassion and care, cultivating what is healthy and letting go of what isn't so healthy. We're all in this together. May our practice not only benefit ourselves, may it benefit everyone we come into contact with. And may we be nourished, see, know, appreciate the well-being in others and learn and be supported by that as well. Thank you, thank you. See you next time.